This episode is brought to you by Audible.com. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash bookstacked. That's audibletrial.com slash bookstacked. I was just at a, I just did a signing where like, like a lawyer, a woman came through and she's a lawyer. You know, she's like impressive. And she's like, I grew up on your books. She's like, I love Love and Thompson. She was like, it's talking about Geth and Clover, who's the creature. And, and she's like an impressive lawyer, you know? And I just like, it's so hilarious because uh, to think people would grow up on those things and have those things. And she was able just to quote lines and say stuff. And um, it's a cool perk, man. It's, it's all right. Because the reality is those were just awful or dumb or weird or great ideas that were in my head for so many years. And now they're out. From Bookstack.com, you're listening to About the Author. I'm your host, Saul Marquez. Today we're speaking with author Obert Skye, who's written 30 books, including the Love and Thump series. We're going to talk to him about his love for writing and how he shared that passion with children across the country. We've got his story coming up in just a few moments, so stay with us. So I wanted to start off with where did you grow up? Yeah, I mean, I kind of grew up all over the West, so different parts of the West, um, uh, parts of Colorado, parts of Arizona, other various parts for short whiles, but mo- a lot of my growing up I did in Arizona, Tempe, Arizona. What was it about Tempe that you liked so much? Uh, oh man, it was just awesome, 602, represent, it was amazing, <laughs> man, it was a, uh, there was nothing about it I didn't like. In fact. Um, it's one of the few places I've based any of my books off of. One of my series is, I use Tempe as the main city and the, the neighborhood I grew up in. But for that time at least, and I don't know, man, it was it was cool. It just, it felt like an idyllic childhood. It just made growing up fun and Tempe felt like a safe, cool place. All of our houses had alleys behind them, which meant like for kids, that was just like our, our uh, roadway. That's our, what me and my best friend used to do. Yeah. Down it was our internet. I mean, our, our, our way of communicating for each other was just to take the alleys. We were constantly in the alleys, either digging through trash cans or burning weeds or connecting to one another. But I, um, yeah, I, I'm a, I have kids of my own, and I, and I always reminisce about the alleys because it felt like a source of freedom. Now, these days, I don't know if I have kids run down alleys or it's a different crowd that runs down alleys, but. <laughs> Um, we loved them, man. Yeah. It's a cool part of growing up. I was always surprised we didn't get stung by scorpions. Yeah, you you didn't get stung. I didn't get stung. Yeah, you know you. that's true. You know, I um, I know scorpions are concerned sometimes in Arizona now, but I don't remember a time when I was a kid in Arizona that scorpions were a concern. I don't. In fact, I don't remember even seeing one. I, obviously, I knew about them. To me, to me, my memories of being young and in Arizona were like black widows were a problem, and um, you know you'd find them in dark corners, but. Um, no, Arizona's great, and cockroaches, a lot of cockroaches. Yeah, I tell a story constantly about some of my cockroach stories, but um, yeah, I mean, it had a share of bugs, but it was like, Tempe was all right. It was just, it just, it was a good place to, to spend a few years, that's for sure. Can you describe yourself as a kid? Like, were you really into books or movies or any of that? I was a spaz. I mean, I, 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 it's interesting, I, I think I... I um I've always been I, I hope I've been a nice kid that's what everyone always called me but I was always um like I don't mind being the person that sits in the back row and watching everybody but then if I'm if I'm around I want to be the kid that's loud and sort of the class you know clown a little bit but as a kid I think I was thoughtful and and loud and um 
Well, and loud in a way that, you know, I always wanted to be doing something. I've never been satisfied with reality. Even as a little kid, I just wanted it to be different or more exciting or something around the corner or something behind that door that's different or uh, just always a mystery at hand. And, and then also, I just have always, and I don't know if this comes from my parents or my older siblings, but um, if, if it's funny, say it. <laughs> you know, I just felt like uh, it was constant. That was just our thing. It, you know, if I thought there was something funny, no matter what the risk was, I would say it. I mean, I still live that way a little bit. I don't know if this interview will bear fruit to that, but the, uh, but I, I yeah, if it, it was funny for uh, at all costs, and, and I didn't like to read. I, I wasn't a reader at first, and um, but I, from like conception or when I was born, I don't know when it was. I wanted to be a writer. I mean, really? I really professed it from like a, a, my parents talk about like me reading at age two and writing books at age four and. Again, they're not good books, but you know, just and and I don't think that's masterful. Today, probably kids are, I don't know, in pre-classes and writing real novels at age three. But the uh, no, and so I just I really liked it, and and I always thought that like through the early grade school ages, I thought I'm just going to write the books that people read. I don't need to be a reader, and that made sense to me. And still, some days on some levels, it makes sense. Hmm. I'll write the books; other people can read them. I mean, fortunately, I had a librarian that teamed up with my mom and. They just would, were relentless about getting me to be a reader, and uh, despite my protests, and eventually I, I read Charlie in the Chocolate Factory after being stalked by my librarian, and um, it cha- you know changed everything because like I tolerated the book, I liked the story, and then I was like, wow, I can see how that author took something from beginning to end and how he made things work, and I, I just it sort of opened my even as a kid I remember thinking, oh yeah, this is this is a book, this is what I want to do, and so it makes sense that I would be reading these. That's cool. Yeah. I know for me, I discovered Girl Doll in third grade because my teacher would read the books to us, and he was like the first author I fell in love with. Yeah, him and, him and J.K. Rowling in yeah. the same year. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I totally get that. Yeah, it's just his. Although I had like amazing parents, I really did. His rep- representation of adults was just it's spot on with me. Man, they were just horrible, mean, awful people. And again, in my life, I wasn't experiencing that, but it was that it was that me looking for things that were funny and different. And so like it was like a it was like an honest twist because it was different than what I was experiencing personally and I just loved looking at authority and that kind of stuff with like this grotesque and overweight and mean and overbearing kind of people and uh, and then he was funny and funny is what I liked. Yeah. You mentioned so then you were writing a lot as a kid. Right. Uh, could you tell me anything, any sort of writing projects you were working on as a kid? Yeah, I mean I wrote my first book about when I was four, and it was about horses, and it wasn't good. <laughs> but the um, my really my start of writing and what my my first book I wrote is kind of a long story. I don't know if you want to hear it, but the um, I I when I was a kid, I, I knew I wanted to write, knew I wanted to write, and we went to Carlsbad Caverns, which is in Carlsbad, New Mexico. It's a big cave underground, cool cool place. You enter this little building above ground, and then you you just hike like miles into the ground into this cavern, and. Like, as a kid, that seemed magical. I couldn't believe we were, like, descending and descending into what felt like the center of the earth. It just felt, like, so incredible. When you get down there, like, something super amazing happens. There's, like, a there's like a little cafe. So, like, there's this little cafe in the middle of the earth, and they and then even more magical, they serve you this box lunch of, like, nuggets and ranch, dip, ranch dressing for dipping sauce, and it just seemed amazing, like, to be a little kid in the center of the earth eating chicken nuggets and ranch sauce. It was just... It, it just it seemed like magical, man. It just was everything. And then, and then something even more magical happened. After we were done eating that, um, we took an elevator back to the top. And so, like, as I was riding that elevator back up, I was just thinking, what is happening to me? This is so exciting and so 
it was just like too much to take in and too much to describe. And then that night we stayed at a little city near Carlsbad called White City. I think it's White City or White Sand. I think it's White City. And anyhow, we stayed that, that, there that night. And um, um, after we ate dinner, we walked out to the curb and I was standing next to my father and I had all those thoughts of those caverns and stuff in my head. And I look up at my dad and then he leans down and says something to me that just says, makes it even more magical. So he looks down at me and says, two weeks ago, somebody was murdered here. <laughs> and obviously murder's bad, but yeah, like, but, 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 no, but the feeling was so intense. It was scary, right? Terrifying, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And combined with what I had seen and what had happened, it was like too much for me to express, too much for me to keep in. So I like ran to the motel room and I flipped to the back of my brother's coloring book and blank pages and just started writing. And I wanted people to feel exactly what I was feeling at that moment. It felt so essential that that, like that was my goal and it still really is my end game. Like the best thing about reading, writing for me is that like I, I express something and I share that emotion with somebody else and then it creates this connection. I wanted to ask about Love and Thumps because that's probably what you're best known for, I think. Uh, yeah, yeah, in certain circles. It, it depends on parts of the world and country, but yeah, Levin, I, I, I would, yeah, it's totally fair to say that, I guess. So Levin was an idea I had for a long, long time. I originally wrote a, a short story called um, A Toothpick, A Wagon, and A Trip Across Foo, and it was based on like a toothpick and a wagon and a trip across Foo. <laughs> and I was young when I wrote that, and I thought, uh, I always, my mom always talked about um, the heart of a tree. She loved cutting logs and burning them in the fireplace. And she'd always say, oh, like the heart of the tree, or this log's like the heart of the tree. And I loved that idea. And um, I thought, well, what if you were to carve up the heart small enough and could it still be living? And that's where the toothpick idea came, because the main character, one of the main characters is a toothpick in Levin Thump's Geth, and he's a, a powerful, important part of that whole series. But the, um, so those are just ideas that started formulating from a super young, super young age. And it was really a, a long brainstorming process for that book. But when, but when Levin finally started to come together, and I knew I had, um, I had worked on other writing projects. I did freelance writing, commercials, screenplays, that kind of stuff. And um, when I got to the point where I thought I was a good enough writer, and um, wrote the first Levin Thumps, it was, uh, it was just a, a, a rocket ride from there. For those who have never heard of Levin Thumps before, could you explain the story briefly? Well, Levin is a young boy who lives an awful fate in reality. It's very Roald Dahl-like -Dahl circumstances in some respects. And uh, he teams up through other, others, another girl that's having some rough times, winter. And then there's uh, two transplants from the realm of Fu that come. And Fu is the space between the possible and the impossible. Basically what Fu does is generates and, and magnifies dreams of humans. And so it's sort of in dismay, darkness is setting in, that, some of that stuff and dreams of mankind are getting dark and sort of selfish and so it's up to Levin to return here. He's got a connection by relation to Fu. It's up to him to return there and to basically save this realm and save the dreams of all mankind. It's five books and well I guess there's a six uh, ancillary book as well and um, it's quite an epic ride man. I, I, I love the hardest book I've ever written. I just, I just released my 30th book and the hardest book I've ever written was a uh, the fifth book of Levin Thumps, just yeah. because it was, it's, it's a big story, and just I wanted to complete it in a way that made perfect sense. But I love the fifth book because I knew that ending from the start, and I was always aiming towards it with all five books. And uh, when it find the last moments of it are just, yeah, such a blast to it's so cool that it exists, right? Yeah, it's it, like I said, it's coolest. I mean, still to this day, I, I was just at a I just did a signing where, like, like a lawyer, a woman came through, and she's a lawyer, you know, she's like impressive. And she's like, I grew up on your books. She's yeah. like, I love Love and Thompson. She was like, talking about Geth and Clover, who's the creature. And, but she's like an impressive lawyer. 
you know, and I just like, it's so hilarious because uh, to think people would grow up on those things and have those things and she was able just to quote lines and say stuff and um, it's a cool perk, man. It's, it's all right because the reality is those were just awful or dumb or weird or great ideas that were in my head for so many years and now they're out. I have to ask the name Levin Thumps. Where, where, how did you come up with a name like that? All right, so I love names. I mean, it's one of my favorite things. And just, um, I have five kids just because I like to name things. And, you know, that's one of the first questions I always get is just, you know, I think all my characters and all my stories have kind of unique names. But, um, well, you know, one, they're memorable. But Levin Thumps is super important right from the start because, well, the name kind of comes from, I read a book when I was a kid called My Name is Asher Lev, which is like a classic. Uh, just an awesome book. It, it, it touched me, but it, the, I, I mean, I, just, I loved that book, and it was written. Um, and the character they called him Lev. And then, as I was starting, as I'd been brainstorming on Lev and Thumps for a long time, I wanted the character to be called Lev, but it wasn't long enough. I, I knew that it needed to be a reason, and I knew that I wanted the name to tie into the very ending. And so, if you read all five books, Lev and Thumps is a very literal, has a very literal fit to the very last few pages of the book. His name, how it sounds, how it's spelled, all that kind of stuff is crucial to the ending. So that was, so, and it's fun to say, Love and Thumps. You know, I, I often talk, uh, not often, I mean, I've uh, my, my editor at that time in the, for Love and Thumps, um, he's told the story a few times on occasion. He's just said, when that came across his desk, Love and Thumps in the Gateway to Food, he's like, how can I not read this? <laughs> you know, or at least look at it. And um, I don't know, I don't, again, it comes back to I don't like boring things. So to me, it felt whimsical right from the start. Yeah. You mentioned before that you had done like freelance work and a lot of other projects before you actually got to Love and Thumps. I was just wondering like what was it like to actually make that jump into a publishing house and start working with the publishing house and everything? I mean, it was great. I mean, I, I, the rejection question always comes up and, and yes, freelance in writing and all those kind of things, I had plenty of rejection and I've, I've had plenty of rejection in my life. And I still do to this day, but obviously on some levels, but when Love and Thumps was done, like a, I'm not a person that's like bursting with self-esteem or cockiness, but I'm like, I knew I had something. I'm like, I, this, I think this is something. Anyhow, I showed it to these publishers and a couple were interested right away. And so the transition from that to that, I, I really had prepared myself. I had, I had that reading, has becoming a reader had been had done so much and I just had been brainstorming. And I also knew that like, I loved the story of Fu and Levin Thompson. I just knew that I wasn't ready at certain points. And there came points as I was writing stuff and writing stuff and I'm like, yeah, I'm good enough, I think, to do this now. It was, a, it was a totally tangible feeling. I knew the day, like, I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna write this now. I, I'm ready. It was my own personal graduation from something to something else, and uh, uh, it was great timing. When we come back, we'll learn how Obert Sky took 11 thumps on the road and shared an inspiring message about writing with thousands of kids across the country. We'll have all that right after this break. Looking to stay inspired after this podcast is over? You don't need us to remind you that some of the best inspiration comes from reading books. And what better way to consume books than with Audible? In the subway or in the car, when you're mowing the lawn or doing dishes, it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing. You can always catch up on your TBR list with an audiobook. And for listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download when you sign up for a 30-day trial at audibletrial.com bookstacked. Audible's selection of over 1,800 titles includes books like Victoria Aveyard's Red Queen series and Tomi Ediyemi's Children of Blood and Bone. 
Again, go to audibletrial.com slash bookstacked for your free audiobook. And don't forget that even if you quit the trial, you get to keep the book. So I want to jump into the school tours because you've mentioned a couple times that you were touring schools. Right. And I'm just kind of wondering how did that start? Like, was that your publisher's idea? Was it your idea? Yeah, you know, the, the publisher had never done anything like that. That was, there was, and when, when just a great, a great editor at uh, Shadow Mountain, which was the first publisher I had, just a great editor, Chris Schobinger, just amazing, and a great friend. and. Um, They've never done a book like this. You know, there was sort of he was sort of taking a risk that this was the fantasy. They were like a national market book, you know, publishing, but they they really did not nothing like in the fantasy at all. And um, so when it was coming together, there was a ton of excitement, and and a lot of stores were coming on board and interested, and and from the start with advanced copies, and it was really exciting. And and we knew right away that if we wanted to have make a mark, we'd have to do something bigger than just release it. And so. I was all for touring, and so we started talking and discussing. Well, why don't we go into schools and and do these uh, presentations? And well, like, you know, sort of like a captive audience, we can introduce them to who you are and what's going on. The company was like, "Let's take a risk," and I went on the road for months and months and months. It seemed like that first year I was gone almost just all, and just school after school after school after school. In most part, introducing myself, but it was a formula that worked almost instantly, and. Um, I know it's become a, a formula that a lot of people use, otherwise, a lot of other companies use, whether they, it's from us or no one else, but, and I know Shadow Mountain has used it, you know, to great, to great success, but really for those whole, so those 12 years that Levin came out, sometimes it's a little exhausting, like any job, but when it works, like, the right way, it's, it's, it's magical. Mm -hmm. you, like, it's a perk I never expected from writing, because I spend most of my time in, like, fun, in front of my readers, or in front of potential readers, or in front of, in front of the age group that should be reading my books. And it's it's cool. Yeah, I get to see them, hear what they think, hear, hear if they like or dislike stuff, what or my, what they think about me. I, I love it. I mean, I, I just I still do so much of it. I mean, it's what it consumes most of my time during the school year, at least, mm -hmm. um, which is why I'm behind on all my deadlines. <laughs> but yeah. But even just a couple of weeks ago, I caught up with you at one of your signings, and I could see just the kids coming with their parents and how excited they were to talk to you. Right. Like that must be such a cool feeling. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I mean, I still am. Um, I'm still in awe of it. I love to take just take time to step back and be like, "Wow, what has happened?" And this is super fortunate. I get kids all the time that are crying, you know, like to meet me, and that's weird because, <laughs> I mean, it's still weird to me, but it's it's fun because I was that kid too. Like I liked once I started liking books, I loved authors and I loved that representation. And a lot of times those kids are crying. I could have been any author, but you know, a lot of times it's kids that have that know more about my books than I remember, and. And I love that. Like, people come up all the time about Fu, and they'll be like, oh, my favorite part is this. And I'll be like, I can't remember writing that. <laughs> I mean, it's a lot of pages. Right. It was a long time ago. But, um, I mean, that happens pretty consistently, and I love that. And then um, I like, I'm, I'm thrilled that that world becomes, means more to them than it does to me because it means a ton to me. So That's awesome. I, I mean, I'm wondering what is the theme or message that you usually leave with these kids like does it change and vary depending on the book that you're promoting or has it stayed pretty consistent over the last um, several you years? You mean the message I leave at the schools and stuff? At the schools, yeah. Oh, uh, I mean it changes of course. I, I have multiple, over the years I've done multiple presentations on different and have multiple things to and as each book comes out, usually the, the, I'm sort of centering things around that. 
Like it's like a mini TED talk. I mean, it's my it's my few few seconds to, or few minutes to really connect with people, and I hope that it leaves them thinking that they can do incredible things, and that um, the reality is is they're like the future writers, and I want good books to read in the future, and so. It's, I guess it's selfish on some level. I mean, I love to just go there. My, most, almost all of my stuff is about writing, about encouraging other kids to be writers, and then hopefully entertaining them in a way that when I'm done, they'll be like, oh yeah, I want to read more of his books, or more likely say, I did not know about stuff, now I want to read all of his books. And, and um, But yeah, it's always positive. It's like, I used to, when I started for many years, I would talk about the three secrets, which were just like, have, have courage, think big, and be great. And so, it's, it's like an elaborate production, but at the end, they get these just like three super simple secrets, and I still to this day, I mean, I talk about the three secrets occasionally still, but I still to this day get letters from kids that are just like heartbreaking, like, like I'm going to be great, you know, they've heard that, and they're like, I'm going to be great, and some of them are sad stories, like, you know, my uncle says I'm, you know, worthless, but I'm going to be great, you know, because they'd heard that, and they just like, that encouragement is huge, and, and mine's usually directed in that kind of stuff involving books, and, and just who they are as how, how it's important that they tell what's happening to them and tell their story. And so I love that, man. I, I, I like, um, again, my life was maybe idyllic growing up in some ways, but it was not emotionally easy for me all the time. I was a I was an insecure kid. And so like to have that connection with um, kids that I know, I would have felt the same way. It's, it's, uh, it's cool. Is that even something you imagined, you know, before you published Love and Thumps and all these books that you would be having these special connections with these kids? I don't think, I really, I mean, I've talked about it before, but you know, I really did envision I'd be like in a field with a feather pen under a tree <laughs> writing you know, books, but I spend so much time like in front of people and talking to them and it's like the, a surprise bonus. So I don't, I don't know that I would have ever imagined it, but again, I was kind of a, a backseat kid, but a kid that wanted that attention. So even as a kid, like I think I have a, a journal somewhere that says I wanted to be a public speaker. So a little surprised, but also I guess I always had that sort of in my mind that someday I would be talking to people. So winding down a bit, uh, you've actually written a lot of books since Love and Thumps. Uh, there's the Pillage series, the Creature from My Closet series, and then your newest book is Wizard for Hire. And I guess my question is just, do you approach writing any differently from when you first wrote Love and Thumps? Uh, it's a little, I mean, I'm a little, I'm, a little, I'm faster for sure. I mean, my first drafts are more solid and so Levin, uh, was the first, and then halfway through that, I started writing Pillage, and that was an idea that came to me while I was on the road for Levin, and so that was that was probably my easiest series to write. It just like fell out, and then yeah, and then I moved right from there to Creature from My Closet, which is so different. It's like Wimpy Kid, where it's half drawn and half written, and so it was a different um, outlet. It was it's still funny, I think, and creative and and fantasy on some level, but I also got a draw some really simple pictures to go with it which was kind of fun and that's been you know kind of a remark uh, great series that's done some really cool things for me and then um yeah but then i did a series called witherwood reform school and that's got two volumes out so far and that's um like i love that that's probably my most that's a, that's a really fun series and that those came so quick and i um felt like uh it was amazing like i'm like sort of hitting a stride a little bit but then as I've, I've had other series between that, so I did a, a Mutant Bunny Island, which is my HarperCollins series, and then just started, and then Geeked Out is another series that just started. This year has been like the start of three new series, which is kind oh. of nuts. And then, um, and then Wizard for Hire started a couple months after Geeked Out. But Geeked Out is sort of, again, drawings and writing, and they're, they're kind of younger spectrum a little bit, and, and like out of control funny. But Wizard for Hire is my 30th book, and it's, uh, it's by far my favorite. And oh. it's... And it's um, 
I don't know. I just love, I love how it came together, and the story is just—it's cool. It just, I think it works, and um, it's been really exciting to find. It just released, and it's been really exciting to finally have it out and be talking about it, and um, and uh, yeah, no, and so I, I, I'm faster and better, I think, and, and I'm more responsive to my editors, and I'm, I understand. I mean, I I know how they work, and I know how. I mean, I know the process so well, and when I, you know when I turn in a first draft, there might be things we have to cut or maybe change, but for the most part, you're not. I know where it's at. Uh, you know, Wizard for Hire. I think I turned in, and it was initially quite long, quite a bit longer. That was the only concern the editor really had, and then so I, you know, I hacked out, not hacked out. I took out some pages that just weren't necessary, and I love that. I mean, I love tightening stuff. I'm a huge fan of the revision process. I, um, I think that's just where the magic happens. It's uh, so for me that's. That's still a process, a part that I love, and that's and inspiring for me to hear because I don't like the revision. Yeah, I mean, I, I did a little TED, a little TED talk on it, the magic of revision, and I, yeah. I, I just, I love, like, I really believe that, and if, the schools I go to, that's like the thing I talk about is just, the revision, just you know, it's we think it, it's for me personally, and maybe every author is different, and obviously they are, but like that really is where, for me, that's where everything is upped, the ante is upped on everything, humor, drama. Intrigue, concise—you know—vocabulary—it all just starts to become something better than that first draft or second draft. And I love that where I can see it becoming something more than I anticipated. So, yeah, it's—it's—it's it's, it's not fun. I mean, I would love to—I would love to turn my novels in and be like, "Oh, I'm done." Right. But um, you know, and it's done. I know after so many books, I, I know how the process works, and mm -hmm. I'm—and I'm happy to do that. And I love. The cool thing about revision or rejection, you know, when you turn something in and someone has a response to it, something you wrote caused that response, whether it's positive or negative. And so I, I learned early on that I'm not, I'm just not offended. So if you come and say, "Oh man, I hated how Clover did this," I might not change it, but it's I can take a moment to reflect and be like, "Something that I wrote right there caused you to feel that," hmm. and so it might be reason for me to to reevaluate it. It might be reason for me to think it because that's not the emotion I was going for that you felt. And, but oftentimes I can just roll over and say, well, Saul, what is Saul? Saul just not reading it right, <laughs> you know? <laughs> but no matter what the response is, I can look at my writing and say something I wrote prompted that response, so it's reason for me to take at least another look at it. And so revision is, um, yeah, it's important. Editing's a, a big part of a book, mm. yeah. For, I mean, hearing that you've written 30 books, I mean, that's really impressive. I know, like my family should have had a celebration, right? <laughs> there should have been a party or a cake or something. It was like, it's because it's become so commonplace, they just barely, barely caused a blip right. on it. Yeah. Do you have any advice for an aspiring writer who, you know, hears something like that and, you know, wants to reach that level to, to really embrace writing or maybe jump into publishing? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I gotta, yeah. I mean, as much as uh, any human would encourage anybody else, I mean, I, I don't, there hasn't been a scientific study done, but, and again, this is another thing I talk about, so I feel like sometimes I'm repeating myself, but um, I, there's not a scientific study, but I bet 98% of the people that finish something find a home for it. I mean, so many people just don't finish it. I mean, everybody everywhere that's always like, I'm a writer, I want to be a writer. And I'm like, have you finished something? And they're just, most of the time is no. And the ones that have or do, they seem to go on and then tell me next time, you know, I've finished this, I'm, I, it's published, I'm doing this, I'm moving forward. I mean, you can't do anything until that, so like, completing something is really essential, especially while you're beginning, but I mean, it's just the simple things. I think nothing makes you a better writer than reading. Even the bad books teach you what you don't want to read, write, you know, it's a, I mean, I think if you're constantly doing that, that just promotes so much brainstorming and so much, uh, 
you know, careful thought and so much evaluation of other people's structure and ideas and techniques. And it's like, it just wears off with, wears, I mean, it rubs off on you without you even knowing. It's a really, uh, it's a really important, crucial uh, a thing to do. But, you know, unless you finish something, we're not going to ever really be able to have the next level of this conversation. It's just not going to happen, man. That's true. But if you finish something, I bet, unless it's written in crayon and just like, you know, I, 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 bet, I bet you'll find someone that cares about it and maybe would publish it or help you get it published. And, and that's, um, but you, we can't have that discussion unless you finish it. You know, you know it's, it's just a crucial stage. And, and I don't always finish things in my life. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a struggle I have in other areas. But writing books, I've just always finished them. So, uh, yeah, just keep writing, man. Finish something. So I can be interviewing you sometime. Yeah, I mean, that's how it should be, right? This feels wrong. Yeah, come on, Saul. But no, uh, yeah, so no, just again, just, I'm just, I mean, it's been a wild, crazy ride. When I can take a second to step back, it's just nothing but gratitude. Even my family will just like, oh, this is a cool point we've got to. And I just, um, I'm thankful for it. But I'm thankful for the teachers and the, the books that put these ideas in my head or help shape these things. I'm glad that Clovers exist. I mean, I don't, these characters are like become my life. Eleven Thumbs was a six-year, seven-year process, and so I just lived with those characters forever. Same with a lot of these other series; they're long, and you have all this time with these characters. But you know, I feel fortunate because of that. And then look at this man. What look what book's done? Yeah. Look what they've done. They've, they've made us friends, right? <laughs> right? We've had this connection right here we never would have. Well, I have to say too because you had mentioned like, you know, you hear from so many kids, and I told you a couple weeks ago that I met you eleven years ago. That's right. That's uh, right. You were giving one of the presentations at yeah. my junior high school. And was it all right? It was good because I, I still remember it to this day. And That's like, hilarious. Because I had just written a book. Cool. Um, and I had gotten it like printed and stuff. And I brought it to school and I shared it with my friends. And my orchestra teacher saw me with it. She's like, you got to go show the librarian. So I go and I show the librarian. This is the day before you come cool. to our school. And she's like, are you going to go see Obert Sky? the next day you know and I was like uh no I didn't get a ticket or anything right um and she's like well I'm gonna give you this excuse to get out of class and go oh, listen nice. to his presentation and so I went and like you said you're, you're you talk about inspiring kids to like go do something great and stuff like that and as a kid who wanted to write that meant like so much to me and I remember going up to you afterwards my librarian introducing me to you and she even I know you don't remember this because you you're gonna, so you're many, gonna make me emotional so many it. people but like she even had me like show you the book that I had printed out and what was it called do you remember <laughs> it's awful no, let's hear it, let's hear it. <laughs> it's called space dog and the solar stone code I almost think I remember that <laughs> um, it's a pretty good title right uh, no nah. <laughs> well, I mean it's memorable yeah yeah but I remember yeah. like handing you it and you were like looking at it and you were like this is so cool and like that just meant so much to me at the time oh man that's... I mean I mean it still does not just at the time but <laughs> that's the nicest I mean that's uh uh I mean that's just that's awesome and I, I mean Thank you for even telling me that, because that, that means everything. Because I mean, right? We're gonna—we're both living this life. So what a cool thing that these things can make connections on, and these stories can, and and things like space dogs become something bigger than space dogs, right? <laughs> and because they become a connecting point, that's that's just all right, man. So we're old friends. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This feels right, then. It's been yeah. good. I've—I I've, yeah. thank you so much for taking the time to talk. Hundred percent, my pleasure. Yeah. Thanks, all. Obert Sky's newest book, Wizard for Hire, just came out a few months ago. It's available wherever books are sold. And in case you were wondering just how big of an impact his books have had on people, consider this. Several parents have actually named their children after characters in his books. 
the cool thing is, I bet I've had at least a couple dozen people that have told me they named their kid Levin really? because of the books. Wow, interesting. Yeah, all across the country. I mean, it's cool, you know. Or I've met them. The little they bring their kids and their little kids, and I'll be like, "This is Levin," <laughs> and I'll be like, "That's all right." That's so Yeah, yeah, it's a good name actually. Yeah. Because Lev's a Lev's a cool nickname. I mean, Lev's very Russian. The, the name Lev is quite Russian, and but um, so I certainly <laughs> didn't invent it, but I, it's it worked out perfect. This has been About the Author. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show, the easiest and simplest thing you could do is go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and review. I mentioned before that this show might be something that we do on a continual basis later on in the year. That's largely going to depend on the support of the show. So if you have a moment, go ahead and leave us that review. Doing so will actually make it easier to find guests for future episodes. If you want to get in touch, all you have to do is go to author.bookstacked.com. There's a contact form there on the bottom, and just keep in mind that your comment might be read on the show. I want to give special thanks to my peers at Brigham Young University and the incredible Bookstack team for providing feedback throughout this process, and I have to give a very, very special thank you to my good friend Kobe Davis and his family for helping me put this interview together. Next week on the podcast, you'll meet Leanna Gardner, who has an incredible and inspiring story and message to share. You're not going to want to miss it, so I hope to see you there. The sky will shine tonight Up in the stars